Hello, everybody, and welcome to One Question with Pastor Adam. And I am Adam, and I am pastor to believers and to doubters, to unfaithful Christians and to faithful atheists. And Jesus wasn't afraid of questions, and neither are we here at One Question with Pastor Adam. And so each week we are going to talk about one of the questions, big questions that we have about God, faith, life, religions, Jesus, but the Bible, whatever. Uh, today's question comes to us from TikTok. It is a big question from Jane. Jane says, um, tell me when your almighty God cures cancer and st stops war and feeds the hungry. Then I'll have some respect for your evil deity. Oof. Do you feel that? I feel that. When I first read that from Jane, I was like, whew, that is, that is a big one. And uh, it is a question that Christians, people of all religions, have been grappling with for thousands of years and uh, it's, it's not an easy one. So if you have comments or uh, ideas, questions that you uh, have about this, is God good? Is God evil? What, what is going on here? And uh, I, I would love to read those. So um, looks like we're having uh, some issues uh, with this app. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, here are here are my thoughts on this. I, I love Jane's question. And I responded to Jane on TikTok by apologizing, uh, apologizing and saying that I am sorry, because this almighty God uh, has let all of us down. Uh, and in fact, I have come to the conclusion during my deconstruction process that uh, maybe almighty is not a good way to think about God. Uh, maybe something much more like all vulnerable is a better way to think about God. Uh, and I'm going to get to that. Uh, but when Jane asks, uh, when your God cures cancer and stops war and feeds the hungry, uh, that Jane will, uh, Jane will have a little more respect. I get that. I feel that. And uh, I feel it partly because uh, my, my mother died from cancer when she was uh, around 53. I was about 20. She had cancer for 10 years and uh, it went into remission. And we were all so hopeful that uh, my mom would survive her cancer experience but she didn't. Uh, a couple years after it went into remission, my mother uh, got the can the cancer came back, and my mother ended up dying from cancer. So the question about God and cancer is a is a real one for me. It's what got me kind of into this. It's what get a, gets a lot of people into studying religion, God, what it's all about. There's something about suffering that brings life into focus 
why does this all happen? So uh, when my mom died, I was a sophomore in college and uh, changed my major to religious studies so that I could ask these kinds of questions. And um, I wish I had really great answers for you. <laughs> I've studied uh, this, this question for a long time. And, you know, answers about God's um, all, all powerful omnipotence just fall flat for me. Uh, an all powerful God no longer makes sense to me. And people will say, well, if God is not all powerful, then that God is not worth worshiping. Well, I think that an all powerful God is not worth worshiping either because we see what worshiping power does. It corrupts. Uh, and God, an all-powerful God, I think when we have that view, uh, corrupts us. Uh, it, it leads us to a sense of worshiping power that is not helpful. And I resist this idea of an all-powerful God. Uh, I don't know what what you, I don't know how you view it. Um, I, last week we talked about how Jesus is the revelation of who God is. And if we stick with that, uh, we see a God, not who is all powerful, not who is uh, somewhere distant from us, uh, intervening every once in a while, uh, answering some prayers here and other prayers there, right? What, what we much, much more see about God through the person Jesus is not an all-powerful God, but a God who is here with us, suffering with us, inviting us into a different way of life with one another, a way of, uh, of love. Instead of uh, omnipotence, God. Hi, Andrea. Good to good to see you. Hello. Uh, I have been um, influenced by Tom Ord, uh, who has a book called Pluriform Love, uh, and also uh, Open and Relational Theology. I highly recommend these books. Um, what Tom Ord does is invites us to switch our view of an omnipotent God, an all-powerful God, into, here's the word that Tom uses, omnipotent. Ami is the word for love, uh, and potent is the word for power. God is all loving. Uh, that is where I think Jesus is leading us into viewing God, not as an all-powerful deity who is in control of all kinds of things. That is only going to let us down. And in this world, maybe this world that is imperfect, uh, maybe we are just set up for being let down in this world. Jesus was let down in this world. If you are feeling let down by God, by the world, by your fellow human beings, you're not alone. God, if Jesus is God in the flesh, God was let down by humans, by the systems of this world that actually crushed God. When you look at the, if, if you're going to, if we're going to use a uh, power 
when it comes to God and Jesus, all powerful, it has got to be the power to love. Because Jesus goes through his life, goes through his death and his resurrection with that kind of power. Notice that he never prays for revenge when he's on the cross. He's not like, uh, let's kill the bastards, right? He's praying for forgiveness. He lives out his life uh, where he teaches to love your neighbor, who includes even your enemies, as you love yourself. There's a vulnerability to that. There's a divine vulnerability to that. God is not in control of the world. God is not in control of every atom that is in this world. Uh, I, when my mom died from cancer was when I was like, you know, really first questioning this kind of uh, theology that I've come to view as toxic. This view that God is in control of everything that is happening and that makes God into a monster. People getting cancer. Uh, people, um, when I was a chaplain, a young family got run over by a car as they were walking uh, across a crosswalk, a car that was speeding, going way too fast. Did God cause that to happen? No, that kind of God is a monster. I no longer believe in that kind of God. The God that I believe in is much more like Jesus, the one who comes to us in the flesh, in the vulnerability of being born a baby. You notice that when the, the Christmas story where Jesus is born into the world and what is one of the first things that happens, Herod comes after him, right? God in the flesh is here vulnerable with us, right? God in the flesh does not get protected, does not get special protections. Have you heard of the uh, phrase uh, deus ex machina? It's this, it's this idea that happened in um, theater back in the 16th, 17th centuries. And whenever somebody would get in like this really big uh, problem that there was no way to get out of, they would have this kind of crane thing that would come over and lift them up and magically take them out of that scenario into safety. We see this today with like with movies, uh, Lord of the Rings. I, I think it's I think it was the second movie uh, where um, uh, the characters were in all kinds of problems. They were up in a tree and people were going to like kill them and stuff. And there was no way out. Well, all of a sudden the big giant birds come in and save them. <laughs> Right. That's that is the this Deus ex machina kind of God, this God who comes in and saves you at the last moment. We don't have that God in Jesus. We don't. We have the God who suffers with us, the God who goes all the way to the cross in order to show us God's love. And here's what I mean by that. Not that the father was wrathful at humanity and Jesus takes on God's wrath and yay, now God loves people who believe in God, right? No, that's not it. That's not it. Jesus goes to the cross to show us 
our own propensity for violence, for scapegoating, even God in the flesh, right? Even God among us. That's, that is the human uh, evil. There's human evil in the world. I'll just talk a little bit about that uh, a little bit later, my experience this morning and why I'm late today uh, for the live show. But Jesus goes all the way to the cross and Jesus's explanation for why he is going to die is always that humans, the religious leaders and the political elite kill him. Uh, he's going to be handed over not to God's wrath, but to the religious leaders and the political elite who are going to conspire and kill him. That's Jesus's explanation. And how does that show us God's love? Because God does not respond to violence with more violence in Jesus. God, Jesus does not respond to the violence against him with threats of his own violence. He responds by providing an alternative. God loves you so much that you can kill God in the flesh and God will come back and offer you forgiveness and offer you a second chance, offer you to do this over again. That is what God is like. That is how God defeats evil, not by responding to evil with more evil, more powerful evil, more violent evil, but responding with what Tom Ord calls omnipotence. The power of love, right? The power of nonviolence. That is what God is like in the world. Now, there's uh, there's moral evil, which I've been talking about, and then there's this uh, idea in classical Christian theology of natural evil. Now, I know a lot of people don't like this idea of natural evil, and I'm I'm not too keen on it either. But uh, the first time that I came across on it was. Uh, in 2000, and it must have been 2004, when there was the uh, tsunami uh, in Southeast Asia that killed hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people. Uh, and I remember that and having conversations because I was in seminary during the time. And this was like when we were like, okay, what are we going to call this? Like, is this something that just happens? Uh, tsunamis come and kill a whole bunch of people, ruin lives. Is that, can we call that evil? Um, classical Christian theology calls that evil. Uh, and when lives are destroyed like this, um, some people just say, eh, it's just the way the world works. I, I think it causes such suffering and such pain that maybe that's evil. <laughs> we can call that, we can call that evil. Why doesn't God stop tsunamis from happening? I don't know. Why doesn't God, you know, part of like the cancer and the tsunami uh, issues are, you know, human involvement, global warming, climate change, making these catastrophes worse than they have ever been. Humans have a part to play in that. Cancer uh, can often be called caused by human uh, activity as well, chemicals that we put out into the air and into the ground. Um, but why do these bad things happen? Sometimes shit happens in life. I wish there was a, I wish I had a, a better answer. Uh, I don't think it's because God is like causing these things to happen. Uh, I think God just 
puts the world in, into being. And if you remember the creation story, God says, uh, it is good. It is good. It is good. After every day of creation, God does not say that it is perfect. And God also invites creation to create more of itself. Uh, the trees produce more of itself. The, uh, the, fish, the land animals, the humans create more of itself. We are all in this creation process together and sometimes it can go wrong. Some theologians today like Greg Boyd uh, and some others uh, will hearken back to an ancient idea. Uh, and if this works for you, that's awesome. Um, but they'll hearken back to an ancient idea that there is more going on here than meets the eye. There, uh, there is more activity going on here than just human activity. There are some powers and principalities, uh, you might call them angels and demons, um, that are uh, active in the world. And this, for many of us, is getting a little woo-woo, right? <laughs> um, and for me, it, it gets a little woo-woo as well. But I, I don't know if I would say they're angels and demons, but I do think that there are powers that are um, that are human, but also that get um, traction, that become bigger than what we can contain. Uh, it's like a snowball effect. And evil has a way of doing that. Evil has a way of acting like a snowball and getting out of control. Uh, this morning, I'm late, I'm late to the live show today because uh, this morning, I spent the morning at our county commissioner's office, uh, at their county commissioner's meeting, and uh, because we were talking about homelessness in Clackamas County, the county uh, where the church, my church is, and uh, there are all kinds of debates about how to solve houselessness in the county. Uh, we have been given eight million dollars to uh, renovate hotels and have housing for our houseless siblings for those of us who are experiencing homelessness um, and it was voted for uh, and passed a week ago and then yesterday uh, they reversed their decision and decided not to do it and uh, i along with quite a few other people went to the county commissioners and said, um, how dare you? How dare you do this? How dare you go back on this vote? Uh, they are wanting to not do a housing first policy. They think that housing first never works. They want to do an addiction first policy. And this to me misses the point because it's claiming that our houseless siblings are all addicted to drugs. Our houseless siblings who are addicted to drugs, by the way, uh, are created in the image of God and deserve as much love as anyone else. Uh, but many of our houseless siblings are also not on drugs. We have one view of homelessness in the United States, and our culture has given us this view. The media has given us this view, the, this kind of demonization of our homeless siblings as living in tents and um, on drugs. They are created in the image of God and need all the help that we can give them as well. But homelessness is not just 
somebody living in a tent. It's also people who I know who a, uh, a man and his uh, single father and his children who are who have been evicted from their homes and are living in their car need some help, need a leg up. And this project uh, that was already paid for is here to help. And we, they didn't pass it through. Is that evil? I don't know, but as we are debating how to help homeless people, uh, homeless people are dying on the street and that's evil. And it's part, it's, it is a multifaceted problem, but sitting back and doing more focus groups <laughs> on this uh, is another way of not doing anything. Uh, and so that is like inside of me as I'm, as we're talking about this question of God and evil, you know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, um, that he was in the hungry, the thirsty, those without shelter. And what you do to the least of these, you do to Jesus. You do to God. Why? Because God is there. And if we act evil towards our fellow human beings through neglect or through abuse, um, we're acting evil towards God. So um, those are some thoughts. I'm a little scattered today. It's been a long day. It's been a tough day. Um, that meeting was really tough. Uh, so, but you know, one of the, one of the things about evil and the, uh, creation story that I like to highlight is that the authors of scripture, the Bible's creation story told creation in a, in a different way than most of the other peoples of the ancient world. Uh, you, contr you contrast the biblical creation story with the with the uh, Mesopotamian, the Babylonian creation story, and you see this radical difference. Like in the Babylonian creation story, there are these gods, and they are uh, they're in a fight. There's the mother god Tiamat and the uh, children god Marduk, and the children god are too loud. Uh, making Tiamat mad. They're partying too much, right? And Tiamat gets angry and starts this war against her children. And the uh, the children god end up defeating Tiamat and Tiamat's army. And Marduk, the child god, the general of the child god, ends up uh, killing his mother, some misogyny here, and cutting her in half and creating uh, the world through the evil body of her, of his mom. Uh, Tiamat is seen as is evil. And then the heavens are created out of the other part of Tiamat's body. So the earth is fundamentally evil. And you can see how people would come up with a story like this because a lot of evil things happen in this world. A lot of bad things happen in this world. So how do you explain it? You tell a story where the world is meant to be evil. Things are things, it's supposed to be this way. Right. That's the story that the Babylonians told the Jewish people come around. And by the way, they are writing down their creation story while they are in the Babylonian exile. They've, they've been conquered by the Babylonians, uh, defeated, murdered, killed in this war 
uh, and then spread throughout the Babylonian Empire in, uh, in the Babylonian exile, many of them as slaves. And the Jewish people, the Jewish mindset is so brilliant. It's so different. Why? Because they are hearing this Babylonian creation story about how evil the world is. And the Jewish people dare to tell a different story. They dare to tell a story, not where the world is supposed to be evil, but that something bad happened. In fact, they say, uh, they say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then after each day of creation, God reiterates that it is good. It is good. It is good. And then God creates humans. Humans are in the Babylonian creation story are fundamentally evil. They're created out of the blood of the of Tiamat's, the mother goddess's evil general. So your origin story, according to the Babylonian creation story, your origin story is ultimately that you are evil, uh, you are created out of violence, and you're stuck. The Jewish creation story, notice that God does not create the world out of violence, but just speaks it into creation. God speaks, and there it is. It's this... When contrasted with other creation stories, this story that the Bible tells us is nonviolent. It is uh, it is part of the Jewish critique of violence in uh, that it sees all around it, and here we have that critique right in the beginning of of the Bible. Humans are created in the image of God. That's how sacred and good the earth is. So, but our Jewish siblings are also like, yeah, but we're not naive. We know that bad things happen. And why do bad things happen? Not because it's supposed to happen. People are homeless and there's a callousness to it, to homelessness. There's kind of a blame of people who are, uh, who are homeless. I see it here in Portland all the time. We blame houseless folk. And that part of the blame is part of the story that Genesis is telling us that that is wrong with the world. This blame game, right? That's where creation is good, but something something bad happened. And where is the responsibility? Genesis tells us that it's on humans, uh, that we end up um, blaming one another, right? When, when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit that God tells them not to eat of, the knowledge of good and evil, there's something like when you eat the knowledge of good and evil, you think that you are the arbiter of what is good and what is evil, right? We think when we consume that fruit we end up thinking that that we are the good guys and they are the evil guys that's why the knowledge the fruit the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil is so dangerous is because when we consume it we think that we are the judge of what is good who is good and who is evil and we can start making those pronouncements 
And that's what happens. God comes to Adam and Eve. God comes to Adam and says, hey, what's going on here? And Adam says, the woman whom you, God, made, made me do it. Blame. Notice Adam blames God and Adam blames Eve as well. And then Eve blames the serpent. And the cycle of blame has just continued. And we haven't solved problems. When we get stuck in that cycle of blame, we stop solving the problems in front of us. Uh, so how do we stay focused on answering the problems? I think the Jewish prophets help us to do that. Uh, the Jewish prophets are always the one who comes to the political leaders of the day and uh, tell them that their job is to care for the poor, the weak, the marginalized, uh, those who are on the outside of uh, the power systems that be. But the problem is that the politicians in, in the prophets' days uh, were always after this power for themselves. They may have believed, they believed in an all-powerful God, which justified their sense of power that they can keep for themselves, and it just corrupts. This is kind of the human story, and I, I think the Bible's onto it, right? And uh, thank God for the prophets who rise up and remind, remind the kings and the political leaders of their political duty which is not to gain more power for themselves, but to help those who are in need, right? And then, and then Jesus comes along and he lives into this uh, in, a, in a powerful way. He lives into this. He invites us and teaches us that God does not, um, God, does, God is love, as First John says, and invites us to live in love with one another. You know, as John, I think it's chapter 13 says, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Um, he doesn't say, uh, gain power for yourselves, as God is powerful, you be powerful. And he says, uh, love your neighbor, love your enemies as you love yourselves, and then you will be children of God. It's this radical, it's in the face of evil in the face of a world that has gone wrong for whatever reason what can you do about it you can enter into it in the spirit of love it's like uh, martin luther king jr said when he was when he was working for justice by naming the three evils that he saw in american society which were militarism racism and um, economic exploitation. As he named these three evils, uh, he also focused on the systems and not the people, right? There were times when he would uh, call out certain individuals, but he refused to demonize them. And so this is where uh, Martin Luther King Jr. says, uh, hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. So as we're working for a more just world where, um, where, where we're caring for one another, where we're, where we're trying to, to uh, love those that Jesus called um, the least of these, those who are struggling the most, uh, there are people who will get in the way. And 
what do we do? How do we, how do we name that? How do we call that out at the same time? How do we uh, love them uh, as best we can? Man, these are tough issues. And Jane brings up one of the biggest questions. And um, I'm still, this is going to be a lifelong question for me. You know, there are people who, uh, you know, the, the old phrase, uh, God is good all the time. Um, I don't, I don't, I think God is good <laughs> all the time. But my understanding of, of all of that is uh, seen through my, worldview that doesn't see 2020 right um and uh i i think god is love i don't know if i and i think god is is good but there are a lot of bad evil things that happen in this world part of it is human responsibility part of it is like job and uh who continues to proclaim his innocence in the face of suffering and um you know job's experiences all this evil and his friends come to him and say, Job, you must have done something got wrong. You must have sinned. And Job is like, I didn't sin. I didn't, I didn't, I don't deserve this. Uh, right? Sometimes things, horrible, horrible things happen to us like they happen to Job and we don't deserve it. You know, there's like, there's this idea that like, you know, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. Good food. Good. It's true. It's true. But like Job, uh, we don't deserve cancer, right? Hopefully, hopefully, uh, Christians will be on the forefront of ending wars. And this is where Jane's comment hits, hits home really hard, is that you would hope that Christians would be on the forefront of ending wars and of um, finding cures for cancer of making sure that everybody is fed and that nobody is homeless. And tragically, uh, that's often not the case. <laughs> tragically, it's often the case that Christians are known for uh, being the ones who um, want wars in the Middle East so that Jesus will come back, right? Sadly, uh, Christians are often known for the ones who, are, uh, who say that anything that helps homeless people is enabling them. Um, and, uh, it's just tragic. It's just tragic. So Jane to Jane and to, um, everybody else who is asking this question, it's a important question to ask. It's an important question to ask. Tell me when your almighty God cures cancer and stops war and feeds the hungry, then I'll have some respect for your evil deity. I get where that is coming from. And part of the deconstruction process that I have been through is getting away from this all-powerful God. I think it's an idol. I think in Jesus, we find a God who is all vulnerable and suffers with us, goes through the difficult times of life with us, makes sure that we're not alone, goes all the way to the cross to show us that God suffers with us in these moments. Um, so man, these, these questions are so good. So I want to, I want to hear what you all are saying. Princess, uh, good to see you. Andrea, good to see you. Greetings, princess. Um, good to see you. Star high. 
Luke, uh, pray for an end to HOAs and the abolishment of feudal landlording systems. I mean, this is this is the systems that Luke is is getting at that the human systems, right? That that lead to homelessness. There's this, you know, when Martin Luther King Jr. started going after capitalism, you know, as long as he was like, you know, talking about racism and stuff, yeah, whatever. Near the end of his life, uh, King was labeled um, one of the the most hated man in America because he called out the military and the capitalistic system that leads to some being very rich and some being very poor and homeless, right? The King is talking about this in the sixties and it's seems to be worse today. Uh, so, um, Luke says, Jesus felt the spidey tingles telling her that she was going to die. I think so. Yeah, I think I think Jesus knew, like King knew. King says, I've been to the mountaintop. It's not much more with me now, right? I think Jesus had the same intuition, the same spidey senses, Luke, that you're saying. God doesn't stop the bad things because we are God. I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, yeah, uh, last week I talked about where Jesus says, uh, you are God's, right? We have divine responsibility in this. We are made in the image of God. And that means that we have the image of God in us and they have the image of God in them. And we are responsible. When Cain says to God, uh, God comes to Cain, right? And says, hey, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that is yes. Yes, actually you are. We are one another's keeper. That's what the biblical story is about, right? And, and notice, like, when, when the first humans eat the apple, God does not abandon them. God comes to them and says, what have you done? Where are you? God is in search of the human beings. God comes to us even after we have, what, disobeyed, uh, even after we've messed up. God comes to us, not in a spirit of accusation, God's not out to get us, but out to be in relationship with us, out to say, hey, you messed up. There are going to be consequences. And let's try again. Right. When God comes to Cain after Cain kills Abel, uh, God says, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, you are. Cain gets all kinds of freaked out about somebody continuing the cycle of violence against Cain and God puts the mark of Cain on his forehead to protect him from reciprocal violence. God is against the death penalty, by the way. <laughs> right. I mean, this is, this is where God stops violence, tries to stop violence from getting out of control, but humans have our responsibility in this. Are we going to look at one another as if the image of God is in that person or not? Hopefully, hopefully Christians do look at the homeless person, the drug addict, as if the image of God is in that person. And what is your responsibility as your brother and as your sister's keeper? That is what the Bible is trying to get us to do. So... Oh, I'm grateful for you too, princess. Oh, Luke, I'm sorry. It's been a tough week for you. It's been 
been pretty tough. Yeah. Bad things happen in this world because of greed and money. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus, his number one criticism is greed, right? Uh, it's harder for a a uh, wealthy person to enter to the kingdom of heaven that it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, the eye of a needle was the gate at the uh, front of Jerusalem. There's no evidence for that. There's no evidence for that. Uh, Jesus is saying that exactly what Luke is getting at, greed and excessive wealth, uh, greed and wealth are major problems with how the world functions Jesus named it. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people who are wealthy who use their wealth in very good ways, right? Um, and in ways that lift people up. Uh, that's responsibility uh, with our wealth, right? Um, Jesus, who was the man? Joseph of Arimathea was a follower of Jesus, uh, wealthy, and uh, helped him. Uh, Jesus was funded by uh, the women who had wealth and used it to fund his ministry. In fact, one of them, uh, you read this in the Gospel of Luke. This is one of my favorite subversive stories. Mary, uh, there are a lot of Marys in the New Testament, by the way. Uh, this is Mary, I think the mother of uh, Cleopas, the mother of, I, for, I forget, or not the mother, but the wife of um, I don't think it's Cleopas, but it's uh, I, it'll come to me a little later, maybe. But Mary is married to a man who is the treasurer for King Herod. <laughs> this Mary is married to the treasurer for King Herod, and she funds Jesus's ministry. She is able to use this is so subversive. So she uh, uses Herod's wealth <laughs> to fund Jesus's ministry. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, uh, you can Google that. Um, it's good stuff. Okay, so uh, Luke, they when they eat the apple, they want to buy clothes and establish a consumerist paradigm. <laughs> oh, that's good. Carolyn says, I really like the phrase, the cycle of blame started at day one. It, yep, that's. I think that is the genius of the biblical author is that this cycle of blame starts at day one and we continue it even till today. Now, that's not to say, right, that we shouldn't take responsibility, right? Of course we should. That's what, that's what God is trying to get the first people and Cain to do, to take responsibility for their actions, not to, not to start the cycle and continue the cycle of blame, but to see the, to see God in the face of our neighbors, to see the image of God in the face of the other. That's what, that's what the Bible at the very beginning is trying to get us to do. And the rest of the Bible is um, stories, uh, laws about how to do that and what happens when we fail. I think that's one really great paradigm of an one really great way of interpreting uh, scripture right there at the beginning. Uh, it's telling us the systems for homelessness mostly perpetuate uh, the issue. Yeah. Thank you, Luke. Yep. So Caroline blaming others relinquishes responsibility of oneself. That's right. That's right. That's exactly it, Caroline. Yeah. Uh, 
Luke says, I am passing an indigenous homeless encampment on the bus as I write this, that city of Minneapolis government will probably displace again. Government is supposed to care for the most vulnerable. Um, and uh, that's, we get that from the biblical prophets. We get that from Jesus. And uh, Luke, you are one of the prophets of today pointing these things out. So, so, all right, friends. Well, uh, thank you. We're 45 minutes in and uh, it's been a long day. It's been, as Luke says, it's been a, it's been a rough week. Um, but I hope that you uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for watching. And um, I'm going to be I'm going to be gone next week. It is spring break, so I'm going to take off uh, spring break from uh, one question. So, Caroline, thank you, thank you, and uh, friends, you can keep up with all the episodes of One Question with Pastor Adam on. Uh, uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts <laughs> on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever. So uh, we are going, I'll be back not uh, a week from today, but two weeks from today uh, after spring break. And I hope you all have a great uh, rest of your week. And uh, I will see you back here on one question with Pastor Adam in two weeks. Hey, Joshua. Um, yeah. Yeah. You are a little late, Joshua. <laughs> no, I'm late. I'm late. I was, I'm, catching myself from blaming you, Joshua. I am late. I'm going to take responsibility for this. I was supposed to be on at 11, but I went to a uh, meeting instead. And Joshua, if you want to hear about that, uh, you can listen to the recording. So anyway, uh, is there a place, Caroline asks, is there a place where you can watch old podcasts? Um, I've got some of them on the Pastor Adam YouTube channel. Um, it's kind of sporadic up there. I'll try to post more uh, on there, but you can watch them there. Um, uh, and uh, you can listen to all of them at uh, the Adam Erickson website, adamerickson.org. Uh, you can listen to them there or wherever you listen to your uh, favorite podcast. So would uh, would love to know what you think, Carolyn. And uh, Star, thank you for being here. Have a great week. Uh, Joshua, um, I'm glad to catch the caboose. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, you crack me up. All right, friends. I uh, hope you have a great week. And until um, next time, God be with you.